You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. It's good to be with you this morning in this Easter season as we revel in and understand that after Jesus was raised on Easter Sunday, there was still more to be said. Jesus was with the disciples for an additional 40 or so days after the resurrection. So we hear one of those stories today. Our scripture lesson comes from the Gospel of Luke, the 24th chapter, beginning with verse 36. It'll be on the screens, it'll be online, and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened and why do doubts arise in your heart? Look at my hands, my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, while in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering. He said to them, have you, thing, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, there, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations." Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. These words of Jesus are Jesus' last words to the disciples, at least before Pentecost, before the Holy Spirit was poured out upon regular people like you and me. Last words carry they seem to carry more weight than the rest of our words. And because of that, I shudder to think what my last words might be. I hope I, hope I say something profound. You know, like John Wesley says, best of all, God is with us. Or Steve Jobs is famous, wow. But undoubtedly, my last words are going to be something like, here, check this out, Right? Or, or something dangerously mundane like, that's not a poisonous snake, right? Have you ever considered what your last words might be? Or at least what you hope that they might be? Of course, the tricky thing with last words is that rarely do we know that they will be our last words, which begs the question why all of our words aren't treated with the same emphasis, dignity, or importance. I don't want to go real dark so early in a sermon in front of all of you nice people, but tomorrow, 
isn't always there. Tomorrow isn't always there. This is not permission to be reckless or to obsess about today's to-do list. Rather, I hope it's an invitation to see and to understand the blessing of today. I've always found it curious that traditionally we attribute Jesus' last words as being Jesus' words from the cross. In fact, two years ago, our Lenten season, our Lenten series was called Last Words, right? Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. Today you will be with me in paradise. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. Never mind that saying anything from the cross is exceedingly difficult. But we like these last words. They're comforting. They're profound. But maybe we like them because they aren't challenging. And they're not asking anything of us. Maybe that's why the church likes them so much because they're not a to-do list. We're not charged with anything. The different seasons of the church have a particular goal in mind, right? Advent is the beginning of the church calendar. And because there is no room in the end, so to speak, we make room in our lives for Jesus or the birth of Jesus. Epiphany is a time set aside to revel in God's glory, to surround ourselves with Jesus' teachings and miracles, a time set apart simply to be in awe of it all. And then Lent, Lent is a time to prepare so that we might rightly understand what the cross means, to understand that our Messiah is a suffering Lord. And now we find ourselves in Easter. And sometimes we treat Easter as the finish line. We exhale. Ah, we have, we have finally made it. And there's some beauty and some truth to that. But Jesus walks with the disciples for another 40 days until Pentecost being the 50th day after Easter. He walks with them through teaching, helping them to plan and to prepare. Lent and Easter are mirrors of each other, 40-day periods where Lent is preparing for the cross, but Easter is preparing for the to-do list that Jesus offers the disciples. In other words, Lent is preparing for us to understand Jesus rightly, to understand what Jesus has done for us rightly. Easter, on the other hand, is preparing to be in ministry with the world because of what Jesus has done for us. And then we turn to Pentecost, which is when the church gets busy doing what the church does. It's like the boss finally green lighting the project we've been working on. And I'm sure there's another more profound and eloquent metaphor for talking about Pentecost, but I, I trust you hear what I'm saying. In Luke's gospel, Jesus' last words are a summary of who the Messiah is and what is required of us to follow. Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. Suffering and resurrection, repentance 
and forgiveness. We could spend an entire series parsing out these two two-sided coins, suffering, resurrection, repentance, forgiveness. But for the moment, let's hang out with forgiveness. Forgiveness is to be proclaimed in my name, Jesus said. It'd be one thing if Jesus' last words were, now I want you to go build the church. I want you to build buildings. I want you to be powerful in the world. I want you to set up the church, a hierarchy with rules and doctrines. You are to proclaim forgiveness in my name. You are witnesses to these things, Jesus tells them. What is forgiveness then? In short, Forgiveness is refusing your right to hurt someone in the way that they have hurt you. And I've I've talked about forgiveness before. Forgiveness isn't necessarily rebuilding friendships or bringing a relationship back to to what it was. Another way to say this is that we are charged to forgive while we hope for reconciliation. Reconciliation follows forgiveness. And sometimes forgiveness takes a long time. How many times are we to forgive, Peter asks Jesus? Seven times? What does Jesus say? Seventy-seven times. Which is a biblical way of saying you should forgive every day. And it just might take a long time. Forgiveness doesn't mean that we are a doormat as Christians. Rather, forgiveness is freedom. It means that you are no longer bound by your anger or frustration toward someone else. I love it how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 12. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought of what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, love the honesty there, if it is possible, for, uh, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. And if they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. I love the honesty of what Paul is saying. Leave room for the wrath of God, not not your own wrath. Forgiveness is difficult work. And as my mother always said, you know, kill him with kindness. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give them something to drink. And doing that is like heaping hot coals on their head. Love Paul's honesty there. Forgiveness is hard work. Especially when we realize that often the person we are called to forgive is ourself. In the musical Hamilton... There's a beautiful song near the end called It's Quiet Uptown. At this point in the story, Alexander Hamilton has been unfaithful to his wife. He has lost his son in a reckless duel and he has lost 
almost all of his political power and influence. He hasn't yet lost his relationship with his wife, Eliza, but she now has every reason in the world to separate herself from Alexander's recklessness and irresponsibility. In lieu of analyzing the entire song uh, in the context of the musical, which I desperately want to do, but the service would be about an hour long, I'd like to at least point out where the song begins and where the song ends. As Eliza and Alexander wrestle with infidelity and the loss of their, so- and the loss of their son, the song begins with this. There are moments that the words don't reach. There is suffering too terrible to name. You hold your child as tight as you can and you push away the unimaginable. Alexander spent a lifetime using words to sort out his influence and his struggle and his objectives, but now words fall flat and words are useless. There are moments that the words don't reach. The music in this song is slow and pointed and meaningful. It's quite the opposite of the rest of the musical, which is fast-paced and exciting. What the couple is now experiencing is completely counter to what is familiar, expected, and knowable. For example... The piano is used exclusively in the musical when they're talking about children or talking about family. It first appears in the song, Dear Theodosia, as Aaron Burr sings about his daughter. And then there's a scene where Alexander and Eliza's son, Philip, is learning the piano and he's learning his scales. Eliza's teaching them to him in French, which I don't know why, but nevertheless, they always end with set huit neuf. Set tweet neuf, six, seven, eight, finish the scale. And just before It's Quiet Uptown begins, when Eliza and Alexander are looking over the body of their son who is now dead, she holds his body and says, Set tweet neuf, set tweet neuf, as if to wake him up to finish the scale, finish the song. This is not the way that this was supposed to end. And then as It's Quiet Uptown begins, we hear a descending scale, a broken scale. The music is still there, but it's broken and it descends. And though it is still in a major key because there is still hope, there is little hope to be seen. By the end of the song, Alexander has reflected on his role of tearing his family apart and wrestling with his own loneliness and his acceptance of his own unworthiness to be a husband and a father, you hear the narrator sing, there are moments that the words don't reach. There's a grace too powerful to name. We push away what we can never understand. We push away the unimaginable. They are standing in the garden, Alexander by Eliza's side. She takes his hand and the music stops and then Eliza sings, it's quiet uptown. The first words that she has uttered since the death of her son. And then you hear the chorus sing, forgiveness, 
Can you imagine forgiveness? Can you imagine they're going through the unimaginable? And for a moment, I invite you to humor me and listen to the song in its entirety. Let it speak for itself. There are moments that the words don't reach There is suffering too terrible to name You hold your child as tight as you can And push away the unimaginable The moments when you're in so deep It feels easier to just swim down The Hamiltons move uptown And learn to live with the unimaginable Spend hours in the garden I walk alone to the store And it's quiet uptown I never liked the quiet before I take the children to church on Sunday A sign of the cross at the door And I pray That never used to happen before you see him in the street, walking by himself, talking to himself, have pity. Philip, you would like it uptown, it's quiet uptown. He is working through the unimaginable. His hair has gone gray, he passes every day. They say he walks the length of the city. You knock me out, I fall apart. Can you imagine? trade his life for mine he'd be standing here right now and you would smile and that would be enough they don't pretend to know the challenges we're facing I know there's no replacing what we've lost and you need time but I'm not afraid I know who I married Just let me stay here by your side That would be enough If you see him in the street Walking by her side Talking by her side Have pity Eliza, do you like it uptown? It's quiet uptown He is trying to do the unimaginable See them walking in the park Long after dark Taking in the sights of the city Look around, look around, Eliza They are trying to do the unimaginable There are moments that the words don't reach There's a grace too powerful to name We push away what we can never understand We push away the unimaginable They are standing in the garden 
It's both real and truly unimaginable. Forgiveness is truly a grace too powerful to name, and it is also our calling as followers of Christ. Jesus' last words to the disciples were, forgiveness is to be proclaimed in my name. You are witnesses to these things. It's not that you will be witnesses, but you are witnesses of these things because you have been forgiven. So go, and if it is possible for you, live peaceably with all. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if forgiveness was our perpetual last word and a word that is spoken every day? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, help us to understand this grace that is unimaginable, that forgiveness might be possible, and that reconciliation might continue to be our hope. We are witnesses to this through your grace and through your forgiveness of us. Therefore, may we be stewards of forgiveness toward one another. Give us the strength to do the difficult work, to take enemies by the hand, and to offer love. May your last words be our words every day. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.